Welcome, food lovers. This is the Field to Fork podcast, where we get to know the people and processes that play an essential role in building a vibrant, sustainable, and inclusive local food economy. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. Field to Fork is sponsored by Charlie's Produce, delivering fresh ideas and fresh produce for over 40 years with a passion for quality products and a commitment to pushing beyond the boundaries of possibility to get good food to good people. Learn more about the ways that Charlie's Produce is cultivating fresh by visiting their website, charliesproduce.com. Field to Fork is also brought to you by Seattle Restaurant Week, a program of Seattle Good Business Network. This biannual dining promotion is a unique opportunity to support Greater Seattle's culinary community, celebrating diversity, resilience, and fantastic food with over 200 participating restaurants. Find out what's cooking for Seattle Restaurant Week, October 24th through November 6th by visiting srweek.org. In this episode of Field to Fork, we make our way to the northwest corner of the Pacific Northwest to the Skagit Valley, where the Skagit River flows from its origins in the Canadian Cascades through over 93,000 acres of active farmland. Here in the third largest watershed on the West Coast, more than 80 different crops are produced from a collection of farms. But farming is just one step in creating a local food system getting fresh produce to markets and restaurants is another essential part of the process. And it's in this role that Valley Pride Sales has grown to become one of the largest handlers of fresh produce in Western Washington. In addition to handling sales for local family farms, they also have their own growing, packing, and cooling operations, annually farming thousands of acres of produce from the Skagit Valley. And there's one crop that they're particularly proud of, Brussels sprouts. To learn more about Valley Pride sales and how they've grown into the biggest Brussels sprouts purveyor in the state of Washington, we spoke with Valley Pride's Vice President of Sales and Marketing, David Clark. Tell me more about how Valley Pride got started. Valley Pride's a sales company, basically a commission broker that markets fresh produce from local farms in the area here and got started initially when they were growing, I don't know if it was pumpkins or <laughs> there was some fruit too also grown in the Skagit Valley. Mm-hmm and needed a marketing company to focus more on the sales side than the farm just wants to do the farming. And so Valley Pride started that way as a customer-facing type company that has the understanding and the relationship with the farm. And matter of fact, in the case of Valley Pride today, Valley Pride is 100% owned by Skagit Valley Farm, which is the farming operation. So instead of being just a sales agent out there somewhere, we're actually part of the farming company. Gotcha. So we're very integrated that way. And how did the partnership with Charlie's Produce come about and what did that mean for Valley Pride? Yeah, Charlie's Produce has been a wonderful customer, long-time customer. Not sure of the actual years there, but as we have grown with the amount of offerings we have, being a local producer of high quality, high consistency, and large volumes, we were able to scale up with Charlie's and or make new offerings to them and Charlie's being a more regional company now, but primarily in the Seattle market, Seattle, Portland, and Spokane. So makes sense for them to promote, which they do local product and we're a large producer. So it seems like a pretty good fit. Mm-hmm. What personally drew you into this kind of work? I've been in sales marketing my whole career. I have a good friend of mine who's the president of Skagit Valley Farm. We went to college together. And when he moved back in the area, I was working for a tulip company for the tulip festival and um, in the farming aspect. And he's been a lifelong farmer, 
family farm is in eastern Washington. And he moved back, and then uh, he had looked at some opportunities into starting a company called Skagit Valley Farm mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to know if I'd be interested in the sales and marketing side of that business. And so we decided to uh, team up again, and away we went. That was about 10 years ago. Okay. And mm-hmm. what varieties of produce do you grow through the farms and distribute through Valley Pride? We grow red, yellow, white, and purple potatoes for about 10 months out of the year. We also grow a small, what they call a creamer potato or a bite for nine months out of the year in reds, yellows, and purples. We also grow broccoli, organic broccoli. Mm -hmm. We grow organic cauliflower and we grow Brussels sprouts. We also market uh, cauliflower conventional and organic and conventional blackberries and conventional cucumbers. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> how, With all that going on, how do you determine when to grow a particular crop? That's determined by the farm. There are farming seasons. So as an example, broccoli, we have wet spring, of course. Mm-hmm. And for us, about the earliest that we can have broccoli available to the fresh market is around the 15th of June. Mm-hmm. And, and then organic broccoli is about a week behind that. Cauliflower is about a week behind that, and generally those crops go till the end of September. Cucumbers are usually the middle of July until the end of September. Blackberries are end of July to end of September. Brussels sprouts are a fall crop, starts about the 10th of September and go till Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. And then the potatoes, uh, we start harvesting in September. And we harvest until June generally, or ship and pack until June on potatoes. Gotcha. And you're up in Burlington. What are some of the advantages of farming up there in the Skagit Valley? One of the bigger things is just the the soil itself. The conditions of the soil are very unique. Thousands of years ago, the river used to come down and fill this valley with fertile soil and Mm -hmm. tree stumps and whatever else would flow down the rivers. (laughs) And then actually this area used to flood twice a day with salt water. She had quite a mix of organic matter and that sort of thing. This is, of course, years and years ago. And then because of our mild climate being so close to the water and the ocean on one side, and then we have the mountains on the other, we get kind of a cool climate. We're kind of protected from heavy freezes and we're protected from really hot. Mm-hmm. So we're a little more mild climate with pretty fantastic soil. We do have a lot of microclimates in our area. Hmm. So... You can have a drier area, believe it or not, in Skagit County, Uh, and you can have more of a wet area, different types of soil types, sandy ground, very heavy ground, clay, but very good, uh, very good growing community. Lots of other farmers, a lot of cooperation with regards to what they call land rotation, which is very important. And the reason behind that is, is you do not want to grow the same crop on a ground the next year. You want to grow, in the case of potatoes, we try to grow every four years. Mm -hmm. So that means we have three years of other types of things that are going to be grown on that ground. And um, that's part of the reason we do other crops, what they call cash crops, in broccoli and Brussels sprouts. So that would be be some reasoning for Skagit County and why it's such a fertile growing area. 
And what are some of the unique challenges that you and other modern day farming operations are facing up there? Great question. Um, it's uh, very difficult. The challenges are becoming very large. Probably one of the first things would be is we happen to have I-5 drives right through our valley here. So yeah. you have growth, right? You have people that want to move up here from the city and that sort of thing. And that puts economic pressure on farmland. If it drives the price of farmland up, it makes it ex more expensive for farmers to farm. Additional to that, labor is probably going to be paramount, which is with just about any company. Mm -hmm. But in the farming community, the... Uh, the ag law has changed in the state of Washington, so we will be subject to overtime phased in over the next three years. In the past, the ag exemption on overtime has been with the purpose of when you need to get your crop in, we work a lot of hours to get our crop out of the ground. So before the rains start coming in October, sure. if you're not able to work those hours, then that's translated to ag exemption in multiple types of industries. But ag exemption in the farming community uh, gave you that opportunity to be competitive. Mm -hmm. But as that changes, that will have a huge impact on farming in general in the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. So um, that will increase our our overall cost for any farm producer in this state will be dramatic. Yeah. So there'll be a lot of changes there. And then, of course, as a farmer, you're subject to the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has control over that. So... We had a very hot summer this year, which required lots of irrigation. Any of these things in weather that are unique to a normal year have an effect on the crop. Mm -hmm. And uh, that way you have to be able to adjust. So weather is a, another factor. And then in general, in the companies our size, you can try to pass some of these cost increases out but in general, it can be difficult in farming. And probably lastly, and probably the biggest is in most farming situations, you are putting an enormous amount of your costs and inputs in before you start harvesting and, and selling that product. For example, if you had a restaurant, you order kind of your normal food that you would order to have delivered to the restaurant to make food, and you're going to sell that food relatively quickly to a cash flow scenario where people are paying you getting your money right away. We could be 18 months before we receive the final receivables wow. on stuff that we started back 18 months ago. So it is a capital intensive, high risk, and that requires capital right. and access to capital. And as, as credit tightens, it can put pressure on farming. So right. those are the list. It sounds, uh, <laughs> as I'm saying it, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been talking to a lot of people and companies over the past, you know, couple of years about the, the ways that they've had to pivot for the pandemic. And then, as you mentioned, this last summer, we had this unprecedented heat. Um, was that something that farmers in your area were having to pivot uh, around to, to deal with and get through? Or is that even a, a pivotable exercise when you're dealing with that kind of extreme weather? In some cases, you have. And as farmers, I think one of the unique things about farmers are very resilient very creative, quite a resolve with a good team of people, which we have. You put a lot of good people together and you can make up good decisions that maybe each individual person couldn't make on their own. But, mm -hmm. So the teamwork side of it, the creativity and the willingness, the sheer will of the uh, farming community. So to answer your question plainly, yes, the heat and that kind of heat has an enormous stress on any sort of growing product. It just 
it's just not used to that. That's not the the climate that it wants to be in. There's really no crop that wants to be that hot. So it does have its effects. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So you can imagine as a human being, it's 103 degrees outside. Um, (laughs) You're sitting inside by an air conditioner. Yeah. They don't have that choice. They're just out there in the field. You can water it all you want. You can try to do some things to mitigate it, but Nonetheless, there there is going to be some damage, which be, means loss of revenue. Mm-hmm. So there's some things you can do to mitigate it, but you can't stop it all. Yeah. So let's focus on something that I'm excited to talk about and related to Seattle Restaurant Week coming up, Brussels sprouts, which is a, a Valley Pride product. First of all, the name, is it Brussels sprouts or Brussels sprouts? What do you, What's the right way to say that? I think the Belgium term is Brussels sprouts, but we say Brussels sprout, and I'm not sure exactly what the exact breakdown there is, but we call, we say Brussels sprouts here. Okay. But you wouldn't kick someone out of the farm stand if they came <laughs> in asking for Brussels sprouts. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> and some people also <laughs> refer to Brussels sprouts as baby cabbages. Is that even accurate? It's a different product, but I can see why that would be. It seems logical. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even talk about that at times, especially if you get a Brussels sprout that kind of blows too big. Mm-hmm. It's really not a packable product that would find its way to a grocery store or to a, a restaurant. But So those would be considered a small cabbage. I can see how that logically would be. I am not an ag-trained WSU grad. I'm not an ag person, so I would speak outside of turn. But I can see how somebody would consider the small cabbage. But they definitely have a different flavor, the density of the product. What's the process for growing and harvesting Brussels sprouts? In general, we use what they call a transplant. Lack of a better word, we buy the seed, we send it to somebody, they grow it Mm -hmm. to a certain height that's determined. We receive it. That's called a transplant. So we take a small transplant, plant it in the ground with some automation. And then, of course, we water it, fertilize it, and then it grows. In the case of Brussels sprouts, it's about a two and a half foot height of the crop. And then we top the crop. Lack of a better word, we snap the top off. Mm -hmm. And what that does is stop the growth coming up. And then it pours the energy into the sprouts. And on every leaf of the sprout plant, there's a Brussels sprout. And as we top them over time, that pours energy into those sprouts. And that's how you get sprouts growing right on a stock. And then at harvest time, we have automated harvesters. So they're tracked machines like you'd see like a bulldozer. Mm -hmm. And they go out into the field. They clip the bottom of that sprout stock. And then there are employees there that then basically take that stock and put it through an entrance on the automated harvester. And then that harvester will strip those sprouts, meaning it cuts it off the stock, shreds that stock and plants it right back down or puts it right back down in the ground where we harvested it from. Sprouts go up into a tank that's held. Once that tank's full, we empty that into a truck and that truck brings it into our plant. And then we're able to empty it out of those and put them into bins plastic bins and we pre-cool the product and those stems that go back into the ground do they produce more sprouts not at that point we've we've definitely taken the life out of them and the idea there is to put the organic matter right back into the place that we harvested it from as a good organic matter to mix into the soil as a soil amendment naturally for the next crop for the next year oh okay and you'll do that Mm -hmm. with brussels sprouts in the same spot for maybe how many seasons 
No, we will only grow sprouts in that particular field for that year. Oh, okay. And traditionally, we would have one more crop, mm-hmm. be it a grass or a barley or something of that nature. And then we would come back with potatoes. Gotcha. Yeah, for crop rotation. What's your typical harvest of Brussels sprouts in a typical year? We generally go by tons per acre. We are a large producer of sprouts. I wouldn't share the total tonnage or that sort of thing, but we do ship Brussels sprouts throughout the country, back east, up and down the coast of uh, West Coast. And so we, we are a large shipper of Brussels sprouts, much larger than the local demand can receive. But the advantage that we have found out with Brussels sprouts over the last five or six years, Brussels sprouts are like more of a cold climate crop. Mm-hmm. So they like what, what we have here in Washington, Western Washington. They love dark, cool, and, um, but not freezing. Right. And so that we have that here. So that's really good weather. Number one, number two, it gives it that dark color with the kind of soils we have They get that dark green. And, and then the third part of that is it happens to be that just happens to be the largest demand for Brussels sprouts is basically the end of September through Christmas time, mm-hmm. which just happens to be the time that we're a very strong producer and there's other areas in the south even in mexico they don't really produce sprouts during the time that we have them so it's a very unique crop for our area mm-hmm. for us as a company so we have expanded on that for those reasons that i've explained yeah it is definitely a quintessential fall vegetable if you didn't have brussels yeah. sprouts in some form at thanksgiving you might as well send back your turkey in my opinion like you you didn't do it right Correct. Correct. Can you actually tell the difference between a Brussels sprout grown in Washington and elsewhere in the world? That's a great question. Sometimes I think you'll see a sprouts in the summertime happen to be a lot bigger. There's a lot of sprouts that are harvested by hand Mm -hmm. compared to automation or by machine. And what you can really tell is on the cut end, generally, if people are harvesting by hand, they're snapping them. So you can get a lot of like extra length of the stem a little bit of like stringy. In our case, they're cut with a machine with a very sharp blade. So that's pretty clean. The darkness green of our sprout is somewhat unique to this area. California can do something similar and some other areas in the country can. But for the most part, that's some of the differences. But sometimes in our case, we look at sprouts every day. In the fall here, we can see sprouts from other areas and they look, they look good. They look fine. They look very similar. How much of your harvest would typically be distributed for fresh consumption versus frozen food packaging? Oh, I would say we're 95% fresh. And so I've got my Brussels sprouts. I brought them home. What's the best way to store them once I've got them? Ideally, if you could store them in a cold, dry, maybe a paper bag or not in a plastic bag or something that could breathe a little bit, but also if you were to buy them and from a retailer that has them in a packaged bag, because those bags generally have what they call a modified atmosphere type bag. So they allow the sprouts to breathe a little, but they don't allow them as if you were just to have them out in the open. So I'd probably say some sort of either a box or a you know paper bag, maybe mm-hmm. slightly open, just a little bit of protection in your refrigerator is probably the best. Gotcha. Okay, it's time to eat. What are some of the best ways to enjoy Brussels sprouts? (laughs) That's obviously everybody's own personal. I think what I've seen or what I like is to cut them in half, 
a little bit of olive oil in the pan, just a little bit of seasoning and just cook them, maybe sear them a little bit there. That's the way I like them the most. Mm-hmm. You can boil them and do different types of things with them, but that's probably the way I like them the most. Yeah. I, a, a big revelation for me was actually just shredding them raw into a salad. I personally sure. make about 10 million different kinds of coleslaw and the ones using Brussels sprouts <laughs> are some of my favorites, believe it or not. Sure. Very good flavor. Mm-hmm. If someone said to you, I don't like Brussels sprouts, how would you try to change their mind? (laughs) Well, put some bacon on them or uh, cheese, something that you do like. But no, obviously, the Brussels sprouts are, everybody has their own choice there. But um, I'm not exactly sure other than maybe encourage them to, you know, put something else on them that uh, they like the flavor of Parmesan cheese, olive oil, like I say, with a little bit of seasoning, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm with you on the bacon. Everything's better with bacon, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Some Brussels sprouts recipes call for making a single cut or a cross on the center of the stem before cooking. Do you have an opinion on that? I don't. That would be an individual person's preference. There's no, no input from our side other than buy more. (laughs) You're not here to tell anyone how to cook or to enjoy their Brussels sprouts. Correct. We will be tracking down the Brussels sprouts being utilized during Seattle Restaurant Week and posting about them on our social media feeds for Charlie's Produce and the Seattle Restaurant Week brought to you by Seattle Good Business Network. Mm -hmm. What about uh, Valley Pride products? Can people look for them in stores or ask for them in certain situations? Yeah, so you could go to really any one of your major retailers in the area. You could ask for Valley Pride sprouts either they're sold bulk on the shelf starting now or you could go into some other retailers and we have some of the cases we take our brussels sprouts we put them in a package for retail purposes and because valley pride's lack of a better word just a sales company skagit valley farm actually has way more depth to the consumer so we actually have products out there that are customer facing that are called skagit valley farm so you could look for that brand skagit valley farm additional to Valley Pride, and both of those brands are out there in the grocery store. Gotcha. When you're marketing Brussels sprouts, what's your angle? Are you saying, oh, it's they're so nutritious, or they taste really great, or how are you selling Brussels sprouts to the world? First, I think, is the quality. Being from the Northwest and, and having those products, we obviously market that that promotion locally. We're a very large producer of sprouts. We just happen to be in your backyard. So, The local retailers look at that as a home run presenting a very high quality product, but it's also produced here. Mm -hmm. The second part of that, I think, is the automation that we have in our facilities and also out in the field gives us the ability to to do the volumes we do. And that's probably, this uh, this isn't romantic, but that's because um, the customers have very large demands. And when it comes to the holidays, as you mentioned, the the volume of sprouts that that people order are tenfold compared to their normal. So they need a supplier that can handle that. (laughs) But I'd say primarily it's the quality and the consistency and that we do have sprouts for a period of time instead of just for a month or two. We have sprouts for that almost five months. So that allows some consistency of supply. So as an example, somebody like Charlie's can buy our sprouts starting now and they can promote that to local companies, restaurants, and that sort of thing. And people can feature it for some time instead of just Copper River salmon for a couple of weeks kind of thing. Maybe there should be some sort of Santa Claus type character who brings Brussels sprouts (laughs) to the world at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Only if you've been nice. (laughs) 
Maybe so. Dave, uh, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thanks for your role in our local food economy. Keep up the good work up there. Sounds good, Keith. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. You can find Valley Pride on the web at valleypridesales.com and look for social media updates from Charlie's Produce, Seattle Restaurant Week, and us, Field to Fork Podcast, on where to find those talked-about Brussels sprouts appearing on plates as part of Seattle Restaurant Week. That's it for this episode of Field to Fork. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, and be sure to share our show with your friends. Thanks again to our sponsors, Charlie's Produce and Seattle Restaurant Week, for this chance to showcase the people at the starting point of our local food economy, who enrich all of our lives by bringing a passion for quality food to our culinary community. Field to Fork is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.